Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, Of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Well, hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, there's a lot to get through today, and we're really excited to be here. With me in the studio today is my new producer again, Mr. Dan Elfeld. Say hello, Dan. Hello. Glad to have you here. Now, also with me in the studio today is my best friend in literature, Mr. Grant Turgeon. (laughs) Welcome back into the studio, Mr. Turgeon. Thank you very much. So it's always good to have have, uh, nice people with you in a dark (laughs) studio. Anyway, it's really nice. Now, for today's program, what I want to begin discussing is the selected final chapters of the incredible American classic, Moby Dick. Now, if this is the first time you're listening, I'm sorry. Uh, th- this is uh, going to be uh, very late in the book for you. But uh, uh, this book is a challenge to read. And yet, I think when we mine the depths locked in the pages of Herman Melville's Moby Dick, we discover the novel gives us incredible insights into today's society uh, and the woes, especially with our government leadership. Now, one of the things that, that if you're, again, if you're listening for the first time today, you're really behind in chapter reading. And the thing is, JBL does have all the chapters on Moby Dick recorded. And so you can go back, uh, just go to the kpcg.fm's archives and you can listen to all of them. So, but we are starting a little bit late in the, in the game here for you. But uh, Mr. Turgeon and I have been working on this together for a long time. And I'm really happy that uh, my health is of the of the right stamina that I can be back here in the studio. So today we're going to start with chapter 71. I think, as I was getting ready for today, I think this is one of the most unique chapters in the, in the whole book. And it's titled The Jeroboam's Story. Now, if you notice, uh, I think uh, Mr. Turgeon's over there. He's grinning. But if you notice, it's not called the Jeroboam ship. It's called the Jeroboam story. And I think everybody, after this week, you should have heard my uh, introductory message on on uh, Moby Dick and how Melville used a lot of scripture references in it. And so today, before we actually begin, we just have one more Bible reference, and that's the fact that he used the name Jeroboam. Right. And I I really like what you said as well about how there's a lot of depth in this book. So even even if people haven't heard everything up to this point, even chapter 70, the one before this, Ahab is talking to a decapitated whale head and saying, (laughs) the things you must have seen, you must have seen men walk the plank and drown in the ocean while other men somehow... Uh, the sc- scoundrels were allowed to sail home fine, and then righteous men drowned in the ocean because a storm took their ship. And so it's like the experiences that this whale has had before it was killed. And it's almost like thinking about 
the lessons we can learn from history, the lessons we can learn from our elders as well. Sorry to digress there, but I, I just really love what you said. I mean, th- these these chapters and these programs, in a lot of way, a lot of ways, could stand alone. They can, and and the thing is that chapter is called the Sphinx, <laughs> and now to me that brings up ancient Egypt right. as well. So so uh, I mean, if if you look at creation, I mean, if you look at our great God and what He's created, wells are a pretty not insignificant animal. I mean, they're they're amazing. And, of course, we know he used a whale <laughs> to correct one of his major prophets, Jonah. And so I think even Melville did a great job with that, especially Father Mapple's sermon on Jonah. If you're going to obey God, you have to disobey yourself. I mean, that is the classic, classic thing. Everybody that has human nature, and absolutely everybody has it. And if you're going to obey God, you got to disobey yourself. So the thing is, what we need to understand about Jeroboam is, uh, and those of you out there that are maybe listening even to the Trumpet Daily and also are maybe listening to the Key of David, is Jeroboam was an ancient king in Israel. And he really messed up in his life. And the one way he really messed up is he was given a warning by a prophet and he didn't listen to the prophet. I think it's also interesting that, that Melville named the captain of the Pequod Ahab, which is the name of another evil king in ancient Israel. In fact, he was terribly evil, but he had a wife named Jezebel who was probably even more evil than he was. So you can see, I think, that uh, there's a lot to this book that you can't just read it on the surface. You've got to do some thinking. And actually, uh, to be honest, You've got to start studying your Bible to understand it. So this is not an easy book to read, but it's probably the best book you could read and really understand and study. So here we are at the Jeroboam story. And even though it's the name of a ship, the title is not The Pequod Meets the Jeroboam. And so obviously right there, it's there's something different about this chapter. And the thing I think that we need to really realize is that that essentially this chapter is a warning to Ahab. And basically what he does, now there's a prophet on the ship, the Jeroboam. (laughs) And this is where I think you and I can have some good discussion today. (laughs) He's a self-proclaimed prophet. He's also probably just uh, really crazy. (laughs) But what he does is he gives a prophecy to Ahab, and Ahab does not listen. And so, so if you, if you go back and look at the Bible history, if you look at the ancient Jeroboam, he didn't listen to the prophet and he got in a big mess. And of course, Ahab would never listen to a prophet and he was a mess. And so this is a theme that Melville really wants us to understand that, hey, are you listening? <laughs> you know, every now and then all of us get that little like, oh, I don't think I should do this. <laughs> And how many times we go ahead and do it. Well, that's right. And this prophet is really pretty much a caricature, the way that Melville writes about him, because he calls himself the Archangel Gabriel. He doesn't work on the ship. He's completely useless, but he's sort of, uh, he's sort of mesmerized all the other men on that ship, the Jeroboam, to the point that they pretty much will listen to everything he says. And he's even told 
the men that the captain should be thrown overboard. And so the captain wants to get rid of him, but they're too far away from land to turn around. And then the whole rest of the ship says, well, we're, we're going to quit this job if you get rid of our prophet <laughs> Gabriel here. So it's, it's interesting the way that Melville makes this so-called prophet out to be a total fraud, makes him look ridiculous. And yet he's still right. So that can actually be the way that a lot of people will look at a real prophet of God. They can say that he's crazy, and yet what he says will come to pass. And so that is really interesting. Although this this so-called prophet in the book is really a fraud. I mean, yeah. that Melville makes that clear. Ishmael, the narrator, makes that clear. But it, it does parallel the fact that a real prophet is scorned until what he says comes true. Right. Well, that's, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. That's what, that was the question I wanted to talk to you about is it seems like to me, Melville has a lot of respect for the Bible. But then when he created, <laughs> when he created this uh, prophet Gabriel, he calls him a scaramooch, which is a clown. <laughs> yeah. You know, this guy's a clown. So I, I'm beginning to think now that it wasn't that Melville ridiculed prophets. I think he's talking to the people that do ridicule prophets. Mm. And because because he was right. I mean, the Scaramouche was right about what was going to happen to Moby Dick and what was going to happen to Ahab. Well, that's right. And and when Melville wrote about Elijah, the prophet on land before the Pequod set sail, he also made Elijah look really bad in yeah. his description. But I think you're right where that's the way that people perceive prophets in real life and they they will scorn them they will say they're crazy like noah building an ark for a century before the flood finally years. came yeah it looked it looked crazy to everyone yep. and then sure enough it wasn't that crazy once the prophesied event came to pass yeah well if you even if you look at our woke society and and this is what i was trying to say at the beginning when we first opened up is this book speaks to wokeism you know, and they would think, well, we believe we have a prophet. They would think we're crazy. But yet, we tell the truth, and the truth is proven all the time. And so, we'll get into some more of this. But the, the captain of the Jeroboam, his name is Mayhew. And now, I believe Ahab was really a bold leader. He was really a good leader of men. It's just that he, he was so arrogant about his capabilities, that he, he didn't lead his men to do something great. He led them to their death. You know, and, and there are a lot of leaders in this world today that are great leaders. They have great minds, but they're also leading people to their death. And we don't have to talk about any names about America, but we know, we know the problem when you have a dangerous leader that is not competent. And, you know, it, it's not working out well. But eventually we know it is going to work out well. And here, Mayhew, so, so you have Ahab now. They call it the Jeroboam story, but I think you could also call it the Ahab-Mayhew story because Mayhew is also another leader. He's the captain. And the whole ship has an epidemic. Now, of course, uh, Scaramouche had them believing that he caused the plague on the, on the ship. And it's interesting that he says that, that as the angel Gabriel, he also has vials and seals. That's taken right out of the book of Revelation. And so, so we know that Melville had either been reading it or was reading it when he's writing about it. You know, so, 
So to me, the book of Revelation is the most important book for our world today. And because it's giving us all these, all these prophecies. But, but here they had this epidemic. It was really bad on the boat. And Mayhu, Mayhu says, no, you know, we're not going to get the boats together. They gave a signal to each other. And of course, there's a lot of time spent on this whole idea of signaling between the well ships. But, uh, the only thing that Ahab wanted out of all this, this visit is give me news on it, on Moby Dick. And Mayhu was smart enough to say, I'll expose your crew to the epidemic and we'll hurt you. So we're not going to do that. But, uh, they did, they did have contact with, with Moby Dick and they had this horrible lesson they had to learn. And so, so in some ways, uh, you could see maybe where Ahab would be a little bit, um, frustrated that they wouldn't want to talk to him. Let me just read just a little bit about, about, uh, Gabriel. Just to show people how interesting this is. This would be page 342. Uh, Mr. Uh, Turgeon and I have a, a really nice book. It's the Penguin Classics Deluxe Edition of Moby Dick. It's about 14 bucks. If you want a book that you can treasure and keep in your library, you want this book. But this is on, uh, page, uh, 342. It says, pulling an oar in the Jeroboam's boat was a man of singular appearance. Even in that wild welling life where individual notabilities make up all totalities. That's a great line in itself. I mean, if you're, if you're on a well ship for three years at a time, yeah, you are an individual and you probably do have your own totalities. He says, he was a small, short, youngish man sprinkled all over his face with freckles, wearing redundant yellow hair, a long skirted, cabalistically cut coat of faded walnut tinge enveloped him, the overlapping sleeves of which were rolled up. On his wrist, a deep, settled, fanatic delirium was in his eyes. Soon as his figure had been first described, Stubb had exclaimed, That's he, that's he, the long-tog scaramouch the townhouse company told us of. So Stubb knew of this guy. He, he knew the history of it. He says, Stubb here alluded to a strange story told of the Jeroboam and a certain man among her crew sometime previous when the Pequod spoke the townhouse. According to this account, and what was subsequently learned, it seemed that the Scaramouche in question had gained a wonderful ascendancy over almost everybody in the Jeroboam. His story was this. <laughs> so, so they go on to tell, tell the story that he used to be in the society of the Shakers. That the Shakers are not Quakers. The Shakers did not uh, believe in marriage. They did not believe in the sanctity of marriage and producing children, and eventually they died out because there was no more shakers. <laughs> <laughs> so here uh, you look at, at the angel Gabriel. Uh, he came from the shakers. He goes on to say that um, he had been originally nurtured among the crazy society of the shakers, so uh, you know he fit in. It says, uh, in their cracked secret meetings, having several times descended from heaven by way of a trap door, announcing the speedy opening of the seventh vial, which he carried in his vest pocket, but which instead of containing gunpowder was supposed to be charged with londium, and that's a tincture of opium, morphine, and codeine. <laughs> so that was in his vial. So why is he crazy? Guy's on drugs, you know. Right. Why are a lot of people crazy today? <laughs> because they're on drugs. <laughs> so he's so he's descending from heaven for all these meetings with the shakers? Yeah. <laughs> 
just, yeah. <laughs> just a wild description of this man. Yeah. Oh, it's, 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 uh, it's just amazing to me. Um, then on the next page over, it says, uh, to get on the ship in Nantucket, he had to convince them that he was sane. And so he did. He convinced them that he was going to be a good sailor. He convinced them he's going to be sane. They agreed to bring him on board. And then all of a sudden it says his insanity broke out in a freshet, <laughs> which means the flood of a river. So all of a sudden this guy's crazy. It just goes out immediately. It says he announced himself as the Archangel Gabriel and commanded the captain to jump overboard, which is what you already said. He published his manifesto by where he set himself forth as deliverer of the Isles of the Sea and the vicar general of all Oceania. <laughs> and so he's like, he's the Pope. I mean, he's the Pope of Oceania. <laughs> this guy is nuts. It says, the unflinching earnestness of which he declared these things, the dark, daring play of his sleepest, excited imagination, and all the preternatural terrors of real delirium, united to invest this gable in the minds of the majority of the ignorant crew with an atmosphere of sacredness. So he terrified these people that they actually believed him. <laughs> they, actually, they actually believed that he was sacred. Said, as such a man, however, was not much practical use in the ship, especially as he refused to work except when he pleased. Uh, the incredulous captain would fain have rid him. And you talked about this too. He wanted to get rid of him, but he had the crew so scared that he said, "Look, if you get rid of me, I'm going to unleash all my seals and I'm going to loose all my vows." So the crew said to the captain, "You get rid of him. We're not working either." <laughs> so, so it, it was over. It was going to be over. And uh, none of the crew would let him be mistreated. They gave Gabriel complete freedom of the ship. Can you imagine that? He just he got food, he got to, got to eat, never had to work a day in his life. They uh, fawned before him. Some considered him a god. Then uh, Melville says, "Okay, <laughs> that's enough. Let's go to let's return to the Pequod." <laughs> all right. It's funny all the details that Ishmael provides here about Gabriel, though, because. He wants to make it very clear that Gabriel is just a lunatic. He, he doesn't have any credibility. Uh, of course, he's not an angel. He's not the archangel Gabriel, but he's also not even a sane person in any other way either. And he, he points out on page 344 how the severed sperm whale head attached to uh, their ship, uh, which Ahab's ship, what was that called again? I just forgot. Yeah, yeah, the Pequod. Yeah. Um, that that uh head was moving around while attached to the ship and uh gabriel was afraid of it a little bit he was afraid by this moving detached head and he and ishmael said well the archangel gabriel wouldn't be afraid of a severed moving <laughs> whale head so <laughs> why is gabriel so scared right now yeah yeah so it's, it's terrible you know but i just think it's just absolutely uh genius of of Melville to set this all up. And, and basically what he's setting us up to understand is that Ahab is going to die and he won't even listen to anybody, you know, and that is the fault of how many really good leaders. They won't listen to reason. And there are just so many disturbing warnings throughout the book, like prophet, the prophet Elijah on shore before they left earlier, he was saying, well, didn't you see those five ghosts hop on the Pequod? And then Stubb, while they're out to sea, is saying, well, it sounds like there's some people hiding <laughs> below the ship here, and no one believes him until all of a sudden it's time to go catch 
Moby Dick and Ahab's five buddies come out, Fadala and the four other Filipino men. And so sure enough, the ghosts really were on the ship. No one believed the prophet Elijah. No one believed Stubb when he said it. And yet it was true. And now Gabriel, this lunatic is saying, don't you dare go chase Moby Dick or you will die. And somehow he's also right. So no matter how far fetched all these warnings seem, yeah. Every single one of them is right eventually. Yeah. Yeah. To me, uh, again, this is a really great setup, but Gabriel's not, not the whole story in this chapter. The other one is Macy. And the thing is, Gabriel had warned Captain Mayhew to not go after Moby Dick. And, of course, Mayhew was still very much interested in finding him. And so one day, uh, of course, Macy is the chief mate, and all of a sudden, Moby Dick shows up, and they they announce it. They have the big thing, hey, whale ahoy, there's the whale. And all of a sudden, this, uh, I guess this desire to get Moby Dick comes over Mayhew, and then I guess they didn't find him. Then two years later, he comes back, and Macy, the chief mate, who is very different than Starbuck. If you remember Starbuck, Starbuck says going after Moby Dick is the wrong thing. Here, Macy, he just was just conceived with his idea. He had to get Moby Dick. And what happened was Gabriel said, don't do it. Don't go after it. And Macy wouldn't listen either. And, uh, you know, Macy goes after it. And here... Uh, at the bottom of page 344, it says, Macy, the chief mate, burned with ardor to encounter him, and the captain himself being not unwilling to let him have the opportunity, despite all the archangel's denunciations and forewarnings, Macy succeeded in persuading five men to his boat, and with them he pushed off, and after much weary pulling and many perilous and unsuccessful onsets, he at last succeeded in getting one iron fast. Meantime, Gabriel, ascending to the main row masthead, was tossing one arm in frantic gestures and hurling forth prophecies of speedy doom to the sacrilegious assailants of his divinity. <laughs> it says, Now while Macy the mate was standing up in the boat's bow with all upon the whale and essaying to get a fair chance for his poised lance, lo, a broad white shadow rose from the sea but its quick fanning motion temporarily taking the breath out of the bodies of the oarsmen. Next inst, the luckiest mate, Solo, full of furious life, was smitten bodily into the air and making a long arc in his descent fell into the sea at the distance of about 50 yards. So here, Moby Dick kills him. He kills Macy. Doesn't hurt the boat at all. Doesn't hurt anybody else in the boat. Hurts just Macy. Flies him into the air, and he's at the bottom of the sea. I have a hard time picturing this. I can picture him fanning his tail so that they all lose their breath. But then how did he somehow flick only one man out of this small boat? I mean, that's a precision strike for a massive whale to yeah, pull and, off. And and I think I think the reason why, I and mean, I've wondered about that too, Why? how did it get so precise? And I think what uh, Melba is trying to show is this whale had the ability to think sinisterly. <laughs> he knew how to flip that tail just to knock Macy out. So th- that's where in the book there seems like there's some spiritual side to it. And I think that Melville was struggling with 
it's like he's struggling with the idea of God and the goodness of God. And here's this beautiful white whale. And how does it get so evil? Right. But, but we know, we know that the demons can possess animals. And so I think this is what he's struggling with. And, you know, Satan does come off as an angel of light. And yet he wants to corrupt everything. Yes, so, I think Melville does present a lot of really interesting religious concepts, and he doesn't really know either way sometimes. Like some of the analysis I was reading about the book says, well, at certain parts of the book, Melville seems like he's saying that no one can really know much about God or the spirit realm. And at other times he's saying, well, we could know all about it if we would just pay attention a little bit more. And then obviously Melville talks a lot about fate in the book and is fate real do we even have any impact over the way our lives end up ahab seems to believe that fate is just a way of justifying all the perverted evil things he wants to do yeah. uh yeah. so that's a, that's a way of ahab twisting fate to serve his ambitions a little bit yeah and so the thing is i do think that melville was also studying shakespeare heavily when he was writing this book and i think shakespeare really had a handle on human nature, what that does and how that really works in people. You just look at some of the, the characters he develops in his play. It's too real. It is so much like we are, you know, that really gives us a window into our looking at ourselves. And uh, the thing is, what's really interesting here is that in some ways what Melville does is Macy becomes a type of Ahab. And he's saying to him, look, you got to listen now because you're going to go the same way as Macy. And then, of course, Gabriel, the crazy guy, is up there <laughs> really building on all of this. And uh, It's easy to understand why Ahab would ignore Gabriel, though. Oh, because yeah. Because Gabriel is just, he's really annoying and rude, and he keeps interrupting Mayhew while Mayhew's trying to talk to Ahab. And so, of course, Ahab's going to ignore him. But what Ahab should really pay attention to is the fact that this is a legendary deadly whale that kills everyone. And yes. that is, that's a clear warning. Even if you don't believe a fanatic like Gabriel, what about all the precedent, all of the history surrounding this whale? And yet you still won't back off and just go home to your wife and young child safe? Yes. Yeah. It's, uh, it's really good. Well, guess what? That's all the time we have for today's program. So on our next program, we're going to come back and we're going to finish our story of the Jeroboam. <laughs> Anyway, it's going to be great. Now, you can buy Moby Dick at Amazon.com. You may be able to find a good used copy at abebooks.com. You may also be able to find a copy in your local bookstore. Now, of course, you can check your local library. And now that COVID is over, all the libraries are open again. Please write me any comments you may have to jbl at pcog.org. You can follow JBL on Twitter at jbliterature1. Remember, you can go back to kpcg.fm and get in those files, and you can listen to all of the old programs as well. Now, you can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for Just the Best Literature. And so, until next time, keep reading. been listening to just the best literature on trumpet radio 101.3 kpcg streaming online at kpcg.fm and the trumpet.com